All right, open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4, and we will look at verses 1 through 3 this evening. And it's Jonah's anger, really, Jonah's anger, and it's against God. It's against God for the wonderful work that he did with the Ninevites. Chapter 4, like the first three chapters, show us that Jonah is the kind of guy who never did anything halfway. If he's going to disobey like he did in chapter 1, he's going to disobey all the way. If he's going to repent like he did in chapter 2, well, he's going to repent all the way. If he's going to preach like he did in chapter 3, he's going to preach his heart out. And if he's going to be unhappy with God, he's going to go all the way like here in chapter 4. He's going to be as ha- unhappy as he can be. There's nothing halfway or passive about Jonah's unhappy reaction to God's mercy and to God's grace that he bestowed upon the Ninevites. Jonah is either hot or cold. There was no in-between with Jonah. Here in chapter 4, he's cold as ice. But God, in his grace, is going to try to warm him up so that he can warm up and have compassion so that Jonah could be warmed up and have compassion for men's souls. So I guess you could say in chapter 4, we would be pretty surprised by what we see in the way that Jonah's behaving. Jonah had agreed with the Lord to go to Nineveh. He agreed to go and preach the, 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 the message, God's word of warning to the Ninevites. And as a result, the whole city turned to the Lord. Now, when we see people give their hearts to the Lord, you know, we expect maybe their family and if they're not believers or their friends, they might be unhappy. And, and, and because they're unbelievers, And definitely Satan is unhappy because he doesn't want to see anybody become a child of God. You know, he wants them to be in bondage to him. But to see a preacher, a prophet, a Bible-believing preacher, or a church member, or anyone who says they're a Christian get upset with people repenting of their sin, I mean, that's, that's strange. It's surprising. But again, this attitude is not as uncommon as you might think. G. Campbell Morgan said, Oh, brethren, how much of the attitude of Jonah is among us? The sinful attitude is aroused rather easily sometimes in those who profess to be Christians. And one of the surprises is the ministry, one, uh, one of surprises uh, in the ministry is to see that a lot of the opposition to the Lord's work comes from inside the church. Now, we expect that from those on the outside. We expect opposition from the world and from unbelievers. But what a disappointing surprise to find out the big hindrance is inside the church. And sometimes even from leaders and members of the church. A lady uh, once wrote to a denominational magazine about a fundamental Baptist church group, and she complained to the editor that their church had revival meetings, had had a revival meeting scheduled during the time of a basketball tournament. 
And she was upset like Jonah. And the editor of the magazine invited the readers to write their response to the complaint of this lady. And then the magazine made public a dozen of these letters, these responses to this lady who complained about, man, they schedule a revival on the day of this basketball tournament. And to their great surprise, only one letter clearly opposed the complaint that the lady made. Everybody else was in agreement with her. Now, we're really surprised, he said, where this displeased attitude comes from. Because we really don't expect this kind of attitude from God's people. But it's there. And and a lot more than we think. Jonah's displeasure was rooted and grounded in himself. It was in selfishness. To be displeased with God is one of the signs of selfishness. Now, when you find a person who's unhappy with the way God is doing things or the way they want things to be done, you have just found a selfish person. Because it's either self or God. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Selfishness has to be ruled out if Jesus is going to be followed, if we're going to follow him. It's deny self or deny Jesus. And in Jonah's complaining prayer, which he prayed to God after the great revival in Nineveh, selfishness is seen in all of the eyes and mys in verses 2 and 3. Notice the many personal pronouns that he used in his short prayer. Look at verses 1 and 2 now of chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord, and he said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I the pre- uh, fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and miraculous uh, God, uh, f- slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. So we see the eyes and the mys. Notice, and then look at verse 3. He goes, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. A lot of eyes and mys in Jonah's life. And it's self-interest is what's obvious. It's the obvious characteristic of Jonah's prayer. Because selfish people are self-centered. It's all about me. And when they open their mouth to speak or to pray, it's always about them, me, myself, and I. And they seem to think that the world revolves around them and, and their experiences. Jonah's selfishness was concerned with where God showed his grace. When Jonah said to God in verse 2, I know that you are a glorious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Jonah wasn't complaining that God was a God of grace. Jonah was upset with where God showed his grace. Jonah's thinking was God should show his grace only to Israel because they were God's people. Jonah's thinking is as long as this grace was for me and my country and my people and my interests, then grace is a wonderful thing. You know, as far as Jonah was concerned. Other than that, Jonah was exceedingly, no, it says exceedingly 
uh, displeased, and he was very angry, verse 1 says. In Jonah's thinking about grace, Jonah was very narrow-minded. Jonah didn't complain about the grace that, that God gave him. The, the, the grace that God gave uh, and restored Israel's land according to Jonah's prophecy in 2 Kings 14.25. Jonah didn't criticize the grace of God that delivered him from the fish's belly. But now Nineveh receiving God's grace, hey, that was a different story. And this was more than Jonah bargained for. This is more than Jonah could handle because they were Israel's enemy. And of course, we don't want God to show his grace to our enemies, to those that we don't like. Jonah would have much rather seen Nineveh wiped out, judged by God. Now, isn't that the way sometimes we feel at times about our enemies? Jonah wanted God's grace to be a selective grace, not an all-covering grace. And he wanted Israel to have control on God's grace. If Israel sinned, then let God's grace be overflowing to them. But if the enemies of Israel sinned against Israel, then let God's judgment come down on them hot and heavy. Jonah's selfishness made sectarianism more important than the salvation of men's souls. He was very close-minded. An old-time evangelist named Sam Jones spoke about this selfishness when he said it was hard to say amen in the other man's meeting. In other words, we want grace and we want lots of it for the work that we're doing. But we don't want the grace to be so grace in the other church. And in this case, in the church or in Nineveh. Not many show the unselfish attitude of the Apostle Paul. Who said in his letter to the Philippians, some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife and some also from goodwill. He said in chapter 1, verse, uh, uh, one, verse 15, and I don't have the, the, um, the book reference, but he says, the former preach, I think it's Corinthians, the former, the former preached Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. All Paul cared about was, that, again, that you know, they may not follow us, they might not do exactly as we do, but they're preaching Christ, bringing people to Jesus. He says, and in this I rejoice and will rejoice. You see, Paul counted the salvation of souls being more important than his own personal reputation or his respect. So this selfish attitude about the display of grace that Jonah was showing that was very obvious here, it isn't, it's not a rare thing. It's not a rare attitude. And unfortunately, it gets, to, it gets into every part of our life. So this selfishness about the display of God's grace wasn't something new to Jonah that only showed up after Nineveh's revival. It was a problem with Jonah even before that took place. Jonah said so. Back in verse 2, he says, Was not this what I said when I was still in my country? This was the main cause of Jonah's trying to run away to Tarshish. But God had to stop his disobedience and Jonah repented. But here we see his selfishness again. 
It's, it, it's kind of like he backslides in his repentance. Now, does this mean that Jonah didn't really repent of his sin? Back in chapter 2, verse 2, when he prayed out of the belly of Sheol, he said, No, we believe that Jonah truly repented. But now what we learn here is an important truth about persistency, the persistency of our old sins. Man, they are always wanting to rise up again. Over and over again, our old life, our old sins, they want to rise up and they want to come out and they want to take control. They want to overcome us every chance they get. Yes, we have a new life in Christ. But that old nature is still there. But as long as we read and we pray and we feed the Spirit of God, the new nature will rule. It's like, you know, again, these two natures. Like Paul said, man, I got this nature. He says, you know, when I want to do right, I don't do right. I know what's right, but I, don't, I end up not doing what's right because, of, again, of sin that is in me. And that's why when we get away from the Word of God and we get away from prayer and fellowship and, and praying, that old nature is going to rise up and he's over gonna, gonna overcome and he's going to have his way. Old temptations and old sins, they're like old soldiers. They never die. And if we don't continually do battle with them, hey, they will overcome us. That's why it's a fight till the day we leave this earth. We may have driven them back, those old sins, into their old land. And, and maybe we've, you know, secured our border, kind of to say, and, and that border, but that border has to be guarded day and night. There has to be spiritual watchfulness or these sins will invade us again and cause havoc again. We've got to have watchmen on the walls of our spiritual life. Always watching for the enemy that's coming so that we can, we can stop them. W.G. W. Blakey said, It would be a very untrue representation if faults corrected once even by God, were represented as subdued forever. These faults that we have, these, these, this, it is not subdued forever as long as we're on this earth. It's not until we get into heaven that we don't, ever, that we, we don't have to worry about that anymore. The most troubling experience of true Christians is the renewed, again, the renewed activity, the renewing actions of their sins and corruptions. Even after sincere humiliation and true repentance. See, it shows us how seriously we need to take the heart that, uh, of the exhortation that Jesus gave to the disciples in the garden in Matthew 26, 41, when he said, watch and pray. Lest you enter into temptation, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jonah's anger not only showed Jonah's selfishness, but it also greatly insulted God. How? By blaming God and belittling God. Jonah blamed God for sin. Lord, because you saved Nineveh, I'm angry. In this case, Jonah's past sin. Jonah said to God in, in verse 2, Therefore I fled, uh, chapter 1, verse 2, Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are gra uh, gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents, one who relents from doing harm. 
verse 2, I'm sorry, here, chapter 4. Jonah would try to claim it was God's grace that caused him to disobey his first command to go to Tarshish. And Jonah, as we mentioned in earlier chapters, he knew a lot about the grace of God. And he suspected that his preaching to Nineveh would result in repentance by the Ninevites. And as a result, God would forgive them. And this thinking meant it was very displeasing to Jonah. And so he headed for Tarshish. And as far as Jonah was concerned, God was to blame for his sin. And, and, and I've heard that over there. You know, you, know, it, it, you know, they blame God because, well, this, this is how God made me, so why would he blame me for what I do? All this slandering of God's character is perverted thinking. But when the soul is unhappy with God, hey, the mind is going to function very poorly when it comes to good judgment. Romans at 128, Paul said, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them up to, to, a, over, uh, to a debased mind. Because they didn't want to retain the knowledge of God. So God turned them up. He let them go. Not liking to retain God in one's knowledge says you're not pleased with God's word or his ways. You may still think and talk about God, but you don't like the way God's doing things. And this was, this was Jonah's problem. This was Jonah's situation with Nineveh. He didn't like God's reaction to Nineveh's repentance one bit. So you see, his mind becomes a mixed up mess when it comes to good reasoning. And it gets, it's so messed up and so mixed up so much so that, that he now blames God for his sin. You see, sin clouds your judgment. That's how, it, it's dangerous. It's dangerous to be displeased with God. Because the effects of such displeasure on your thinking can be disastrous. And in slandering God, Jonah belittled, okay, in slandering God, Jonah belittled a good point of God's character, his grace, to make it look like a fault instead of a good point. So when Jonah said God was gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and you withdraw the evil against them, Jonah wasn't complimenting God as it seems. You know, oh, God, you're gracious and you're merciful. You're slow to anger. You're great kindness and, and you would draw the evil against them. He wasn't complimenting God the way it sounds. He was belittling him for showing grace to Nineveh. Oh, you have to be so gracious and merciful, slow to anger and so such great kindness. He was belittling God for showing grace to Nineveh. Now, these words about God are found in other places in the Old Testament, but as a compliment, we see them in Joel chapter 2, verse 13. It records almost exactly as what Jonah does, as Jonah does here, and in Exodus 34, 6. It's nearly the same. But they are compliments to God. But what has given other men a reason to praise God is used by Jonah to slander God. I mean, it was a great doctrinal statement about God. And it was, it was a truth. But it was that Jonah didn't think through very well. In this, Jonah was like those who can listen to a good sermon but get a spiritual headache from it. 
But it's not necessarily the food that makes the soul stomach sick. You see, it's the condition of the stomach. When a person gets physically sick, sometimes they can't digest even the best food. The same is true is spiritually, the same is true spiritually speaking. So what's intended to praise God is instead often twisted around and used in a perverted way to slander the character of God. Now, the book of Jonah, it speaks a lot about prayer. You know, prayer, it's a characteristic of the book of Jonah that's often overlooked. In chapter 1 of Jonah, the sailors, remember, they pray when the storm threatens the ship in chapter 1, verse 5. And then the shipmaster calls Jonah to pray because of the storm in chapter 1, verse 6. And then the sailors, they pray about throwing Jonah overboard in chapter 1, verse 14. In chapter 2, that's, it's all about prayer. Because chapter 2 is a record of Jonah's prayer in the belly of the fish. In chapter 3, the announcement of the king and his nobles telling the, 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 the people of Nineveh to cry mightily to God. In verse 8, it's a prayer. And then now in chapter 4, it's the worst prayer of all of those that are prayed in the book. Now, it is true that prayerlessness is a sin. Samuel said, it's a sin that I don't pray for you. But there, there were a few times when prayerlessness would have been an improvement in Jonah's praying, if you will. And one of those times is this complaining prayer that Jonah prayed here. It would have been a lot better for Jonah not to have prayed at all than for him to pray the way he prayed in this prayer of complaint. Everything about this prayer was bad. First of all, it didn't honor God. It didn't edify the one praying, Jonah himself. And if he can't pray better than that, it's better, than, it's better not to pray at all. To pray like Jonah did, it was sin. Now here, we look at the past part, the last part of the prayer, which is a supplication by Jonah to God to take his life. Notice what he says in verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. Notice, for it is better for me to die than to live. Notice the messed up thinking. It's better to be dead than for me to live. This prayer request of Jonah's was sinful. It was, it was a morally wrong thing to ask, and, and, and God didn't answer it. Jonah's prayer request to die wasn't motivated by good principles. First thing about Jonah's prayer request was it's the prayer of a scoffer. Jonah's prayer request was the prayer of a scoffer. This request insults God. It really discredits God's wisdom and grace. Jonah is, saying, Jonah is saying by this request that the action of God in regards to Nineveh was so disgusting and repulsive that I want to die. It's like saying, over my dead body, will you spare Nineveh, God? You see, prayer requests are to honor God. But this one only despises God. And sometimes, like Jonah here... We also insult God by some of the prayer requests that we bring to God. 
Why? Because they're so contrary to the will of God as revealed in the Word of God. That the only way one can view such requests is a scorning of God's will. Because we pray the opposite of God's will or against God's will. We need to check every request that we make to God to be sure it's in line with God's will to make sure that we don't pray like Jonah, a scorner. John said in 1 John 5, 14 and 15, he said, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, that is according to his will, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. The key is praying according to God's will. And the Lord Jesus encourages us to come to God in all of our circumstances. We're encouraged to come to God with all of our problems, no matter how big or how small. We're encouraged to come with all of our supplications, all of our requests. It's through Jesus Christ that our petitions are admitted to God and accepted by God. The thing that we pray for has to also be agreeable to the declared will of God. It's not right that we should ask for what is contrary either to His majesty and glory or for our own good. Because we are His and we're dependent upon Him. And then we may have confidence that the prayer of faith will be heard in heaven. And again, the condition in praying for answered prayer is simple. Pray according to God's will. Now, there are many promises, prayer promises in the Bible that people have tried to claim. And then they get upset because they don't seem to work. Psalm 37, 4 says, take delight in the Lord. That means take pleasure in the Lord. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. And the promise that's made in this verse here is that if we delight in God, God will give us the desires of our heart. It has been so wrongly misunderstood. I've heard it over. Pray for that. God wants to give you the desires of your heart. And yet the word of God will clearly state that's not according to God's will. But they look at this, this particular psalm as a blanket answer to prayer. God wants to give you the desires of your heart. Yes, if it's according to his will. James 5, 16, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, a righteous man is not going to ask for something unrighteous. He's not going to ask for something ungodly, out of the will of God, or that's not biblical. It doesn't mean that God will give us every foolish desire. It means that if we're delighting in God, we're taking pleasure in God, and we're longing for God, and we're seeking His righteousness, then I want, and, I, and then I want the same things that God wants. Why should I be surprised when God says, yes, it's yours? The key to this effective prayer life is a human heart that's beating in sync with His heart. Your heart and God's heart beats as one. How can I pray for something that God hates? Or how can I, you know, pray for something that, that, that God doesn't want me to have? 
as I've said before, you know, we are to hate the things that God hates and we're to love the things that God loves. How can I pray opposite that? I am to be on the same page with God in His work and according to His will. The answer to that problem of, uh, of praying according to His will is right here. The, answer, the prayer must be according to the will of God. Then we can have confidence that God will answer our prayers when they are prayed according to His will. Jesus said in Matthew 6.10, He said, Your will be done. God's will be done. We must pray in God's will. Now, how can I know God's will? God's will? Well, most of the time, we can determine God's will by reading the Word of God and listening to the Holy Spirit and discerning the circumstances around us. There are many promises in the Bible that we can claim in prayer because God has promised to supply all of our needs, not all of our greeds, all of our needs in Philippians 4.19. And if we're obeying His will... And we really need something, he'll supply it in his way and in his time. And the most important thing about prayer, again, is the will of God. We need to take time to determine what God's will is in a matter. And especially searching the scripture for the promises or principles that apply to our situation. And then once we know the will of God, we can pray with confidence and then wait for him to show us or tell us the answer. Next, Jonah's prayer is one of a quitter. The first, uh, Jonah's prayer was first was, was of a scorner. This, now Jonah's prayer is one of a quitter. Jonah is, is, Jonah's prayer is telling God, I, I don't want to be serving you anymore. I don't want to be a member of your team, God. I'm through. I've had enough. He informs God that he's not going to be able to use, God, you're not going to be able to use me anymore. I, I'm, I'm off the team. I'm not going to be around anymore. I want to die. You see, Jonah can't accept the situation under which he must live, so he wants out. And some people ask God to take their life. Jonah did. Elijah did. In 1 Kings 19.4. They often have trouble in accepting the situation God gives us. And then if we can't change the situation, we decide, I'm out, I'm done, I don't want it anymore. We give up. We no longer try to do anything well anymore. We, we no longer try to make the best of what God has given us. And that's why people who don't know that so many of them commit suicide. They just, they just quit. They just give up. I'd be better off dead when they're just really making things as bad as they could ever be. But the, and this kind of attitude is totally accept, unacceptable with God. We no longer try to make the best of what God has given us. Then Jonah's prayer was one of a negotiator. He wants to barter with God. Did Jonah really want to die? Or was he just using this tactic to try and pressure God into making some changes? And that's probably what he was trying to do. God, you need me. But if I, if I quit, what are you going to do without me, Lord? And sometimes we can develop that attitude. Many people use their resignations this way. 
We often see this tactic used in the workplace. Hey, they can't get along without me. Who's going to do this job? Who's going to do I'm the only one who, I'm the best at it. Unfortunately, it's used in the church too. Every once in a while, somebody will march into the office with their resignation, whether, again, it's at the church or, or in the workplace. They really don't want you to accept the resignation. They only give the resignation kind of as a, a shock, a surprise, hoping that when they come using this extreme measure to get the pastors uh, uh, um, to bargain with them or, or you know, that your boss at the workplace. What they really want are changes that will let them have their way in some matter. And this tactic is used by those who think they're more important than they really are. Oh, again, they can't get along without me. They think they're so important that the pastor will, you know, give in to their wants rather than let them go, lose their services. Because if you give in, guess what? It's going to continue. It's going to continue. We saw that with Jonah's selfish emphasis in prayer. Now, his request to die emphasizes this reaction, a reaction that's despised by God. I mean, who's really the important one here, Jonah or God? And God didn't answer Jonah's request, and Jonah can forever be glad that he didn't. You know, a lot of times we complain that God doesn't answer our prayers. But if we really looked at them, and I go back and look at some of the prayers I pray, they were doozies, man. I said, thank you, Lord, that you didn't answer that prayer. We complain many times God doesn't answer their prayer. But again, if we go back and examine the nature of our prayer, we'd stop complaining and we start thanking God. Thank you, Lord, for ignoring that prayer or those prayers. Because many of our prayers aren't made in a good spirit. But, and, and they're made when we're upset with God. And these kinds of prayers are very unwise and they're very foolish. And if they're answered, man, they would really mess us up. They would really bring a great loss to us and, and we do God a great dishonor. So God in His grace does not answer all of our prayers and we can thank Him for that. But it's strange that, well, here's the thing. While Jonah was complaining about God showing His grace to the Ninevites... <laughs> God was showing Jonah grace on his behalf. We love grace poured out on us, but we don't like it on anybody else. So in closing, how amazing God's grace is. I mean, we owe everything that we have to the grace of God. So we need to properly honor God and, not, and his grace and not be displeased at the way God shows his grace. Because it's such a contradiction to be displeased with the way God shows His grace. Because grace, think of it, is unmerited. Who deserves it? Nobody. What makes me think I deserve it and not somebody else? What would make Jonah think I deserve God's grace but not the Ninevites? It's unmerited, undeserved favor from God. No one deserves God's grace. So no complaint concerning the way God shows His grace could ever be acceptable because of that fact. It's unmerited. Nobody deserves it. Our responsibility when it comes to God's grace is to be the best possible stewards of the grace God gives us no matter how much or how little grace He may give to everybody else. 
So again, it's according to the will of God. And whatever grace God gives us, man, it's we don't deserve it. But we thank him for it. Father, again, we thank you for your word. And Father, for your love. And we thank you for your grace, your unmerited favor, God. Lord, without it, none of us would be here tonight, God. And Lord, we wouldn't exist tomorrow or the day after because it's, a, it's every day, a, a day-by-day grace that you bestow upon us, God, because of who you are, not because of who I am or what I deserve. Because what I deserve is hell, God. But you bestowed your grace upon me. And I thank you for that, Lord. So, Father, may you be blessed. God, may we bless you. May we honor you. May we worship you in spirit and in truth, God. So, Father, bless us as we go our way. Have your hand upon us, Lord. Be with us through the week. And, um, God, we look forward to gathering again uh, Wednesday, Lord, and uh, to come and to, to, to hear your word, God, and to receive more of your awesome word, Lord. So, Father, we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.